leading us today in the time of worship. If you have your Bibles, uh, we'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 27. Well, you see all the all the Bible verses over there that we're going to be looking at today. So I invite you to turn to those. Um, maybe put a finger in one and go back and forth a little bit. We are on the uh, seven last words of Jesus on the cross. And uh, so we're going to be uh, focusing on that today. And then next week is, of course, uh, uh, Palm Sunday, and we will uh, focus on that, too. So, make sure this is on. This going. Last week didn't work. Is it going to work this week? It worked. Oh, good. Okay. All right. Uh, as many of you know, I, I spent some time in uh, Turkey and uh, studying the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Uh, then uh, we found out that we had a 23 and a half hour layover in Germany. So we thought, hey, let's spend some more time in Germany. So we went to Munich, uh, spent some time uh, touring the um, cathedrals there and uh, uh, just how uh, ornate they are and how beautiful they are and that type of stuff that's there. And then we, uh, uh, we did figure since we're there that we were going to go and spend some time in a concentration camp. So we went to Dachau. And Dachau was the first concentration camp that ever was made. Uh, it was actually made in the 30s. And um, uh, toured that. Now Dachau was not grass in, in all. I mean, normally you think of uh, tours, you'll see piles of clothes and shoes and that type of stuff. <clears throat> it really was not graphic. It was just the idea of what happened there and trying to imagine the mass of humanity and uh, the mass of humanity and the, and the, and, and the electrical fences and the, and the ditches and everything else that was there and uh, what, what happened. Um, we finally did make it to uh, the crematorium and uh, uh, Almost every concentration camp had a, had a crematorium, and uh, we went to there. And in that crematorium, which was a, a long brick building, uh, you had storage areas. You did have the gas chamber, uh, but the gas chamber was not used. It was one of those that was getting ready to be used, where they could put 100, 150 people in there, but the war got over with uh, before then. Uh, they had little areas, maybe a little closet where they put some gas in, but not to the extent that might maybe an Auschwitz or something like that. Uh, what impressed me, and I don't say that in a positive way, what impressed me was how they did execute the prisoners there, or the detainees or whatever. But they would bring them into the crematorium, and there were like barn, barn beams there with little eyes in them. You know, hook and eye? You know what I'm talking about? Something like that. And there they would uh, string a rope and they would hang them. And they would hang them about five feet from the crematorium. From, and essentially what it was is they were basically saying, to make it more efficient, this is where you're going to die and we'll just throw you in there. And I, and I try to imagine what it would have been like to uh, be one of the prisoners and walking up there and knowing that this is the last thing I'm going to see is what they're going to do to my body. What they're going to do to my body. So efficient were they that they could place three bodies in one area and that's where they would uh, cremate them. 
See, the Romans became very efficient in executions as well. The lowest form of execution that you could ever experience was being crucified. Julius Caesar was, uh, when he was young, I don't know if you know this, but Julius Caesar, when he was young, was, was captured by pirates. And uh, they uh, uh, held him for ransom. And the pirate says that we need 12,000 gold pieces before we let you go. And, and, and Julius Caesar said, you better let me go. If not, I'm going to crucify you. The pirates laughed. So Julius Caesar's staff went away and made arrangements for the payment. And about 40 days later, Julius Caesar was released because they had uh, done their, uh, received his 12,000 gold pieces. The whole time, Julius Caesar says, I just want to let you know, you better let me go or I'm going I'm to crucify you. And the pirates laugh because the pirates are just going to say it. After Julius Caesar was uh, released, that's exactly what he did. He captured every single pirate that was involved with this and crucified every single one of them. Crucifixion Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst, for the worst punishment that you give to any criminal, because it was showing utter contempt in the life of a person. Where you take them and you would nail them to a wall or nail them to a tree or nail them to something. And you would slowly die. There are records of people who hung on the cross for nine days before the infection and gangrene took over. And while they were on the cross, most of the time they were completely naked. And they would take clothes or whatever was owned by the prisoners and they would usually divide them up. And that's where you get where Jesus, when he was on the cross, and the soldiers divided up his, his garments. And as I said last week, here you have Jesus, the Messiah, hanging on a cross, totally naked, in front of everyone to see. And here's his mother, Mary, another Mary, another woman, and probably John, was there. And I know if, if Polly was Mary, and it was our son David on the cross, I know she would never leave. And most likely, Mary never left the side of Jesus. And while Jesus was on the cross, hanging on, out of utter contempt, the Roman, or not so much the Romans, but the, the Jewish priests were trying to get a, a message to the people of don't mess with us, and by the way, don't change anything. You know, we, we, we are the right religion. And while he was hanging on the cross, Jesus gave seven statements. And the first one is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then we talked about that last week. And, and then he said to the prisoner on his side, who said, Jesus, remember me. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then he took care of his mom and mother and said, Woman, behold your son, pointing to John, and John, behold your mother. And there, there are two tombs in, in the world that state that they belong to Mary. One is in Jerusalem, and the other one is in Turkey, in Ephesus area. And, 
And John, the disciple's tomb is in Turkey, and so I believe that Mary's actual tomb is in Turkey because John took care of Mary. Eleven years later is when Mary died, 41 A.D. So Jesus is hanging on the cross, and Jesus is, is giving these final statements. Let me turn this on. Giving these final statements. And we want to go to 4, 5, 6, and 7 today. Number 4. So Jesus is on the cross, and he screams out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So go to, go to uh, Matthew chapter 27. Okay? And let's read this. Matthew 27, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Such a heart-wrenching cry that was. I believe at this point, Jesus was experiencing hell. Where the sins of mankind were placed upon him, where God the Father turned his back on him, where he was all alone spiritually. He was physically beat down, mentally mixed up, emotionally emancipated, and spiritually separated, and relationally ruined. Experiencing something that no human has ever done. Because even the, 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 the meanest, cruelest, demonically possessed person still has some of the presence of God around them. And yet Jesus, the sin of mankind, was placed upon him, and God the Father, the Holy One, turned his back. On Jesus. And Jesus cried out in anguish because now he was experiencing separation from his heavenly Father. At that point, Jesus took his transgressions upon us. He was delivered up for our transgressions and he died for our sins. And he became a curse for us. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And he died for the sins once and for all. For the just and the unjust. He became what scholars call the propitiation for our sins. Which propitiation means averting the wrath of God by offering a gift. So... And the, the only way I, I know how to explain what a propitiation is, is, is this way. You go down 127, and you're doing 105 miles an hour up or down 127. And, and a police officer sees you, turns around, and his red and blue lights are now flashing, and, and gets right behind you and, 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 and starts uh, and pulls you over. He writes you a ticket, and you have to stand before the judge. And, and the judge pronounces sentence that you have to pay a fine of $300 to $350. And you say, I don't have that money to pay the fine. And he says, and somebody in the crowd stands up and says, I will pay it for you. 
You deserve the fine. You deserve the punishment. You deserve all of that. Because you knowingly went 105 miles an hour up 127. But yet someone paid the, your propitiation, became your propitiation, and paid the price for you. That, my friends, is what Jesus became at that point. We deserve death. We deserve that punishment. We deserve to, to, to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We deserve that, but yet Jesus is the one that took it for us. Those who hold to a Reformed theology basically say, at that point, he descended into hell. You know the Apostles' Creed? Uh, creed is basically statements of what you believe. And in the Apostles' Creed, it says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. Notice what it says, he descended into hell. And on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. And from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. And descended into hell. Those who hold to a Reformed theology says at that point is when Jesus experienced it. So what are, what are the lessons? We, and the lessons are this. At this moment, Jesus became our sacrifice for our sins. He paid the price. At this moment, he, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And he didn't deserve it. And at this moment, God the Father turned his back on his son. And Jesus experienced hell. <coughs> then Jesus said this. That wasn't in there. Uh, yeah, okay. So for those who did, another lesson is, for those who did not know Jesus Christ, what Jesus experienced is what awaits them. But those who know Jesus, you understand this is the point where salvation was achieved. And then lastly is you can be secure in your salvation. Because Jesus paid the ultimate. All right, now, then Jesus said this while he's hanging on the cross. He says, I thirst. Do you know at this moment, 20 prophecies were fulfilled in Scripture? Do you know that? See, prophecies are for a reason. Prophecies point to who God is talking about. How do we know that Jesus is the Messiah? We know that he's the Messiah because prophecies pointed out who Jesus was going to do and be hundreds of years before Jesus even came into the existence in this world. And so, a prophecy is, is basically saying, this is what to look for. It authenticates who Jesus is. And then a prophecy also is used in, in, in evangelism. Because Muhammad didn't fulfill these prophecies. Joseph Smith never fulfilled these prophecies. Mary Baker Eddy never fulfilled these prophecies. Jesus is the one that fulfilled them. 
And, and the odds of, of, of Jesus, of anyone fulfilling the prophecies that were found in Scripture, is one to one, I believe, with 100 zeros behind it. It's a Google put million or something like that. Get our math teacher to tell me what that is. But in this particular one, Jesus says, I thirst. Now, let's look what he says. Later, knowing that everything had been finished. Here's, here's the key. Knowing that everything had been finished, and also that Scripture would be fulfilled. So Jesus knew at that point, Scripture was fulfilled, and he says, and knowing that, he says, I am thirsty. I'm thirsty. And a jar of vinegar wine was, was, uh, was there, so they soaked the sponge in it and put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. Sorry, that's a little much for that screen. But he says, I'm thirsty. And that was fulfilling prophecy. Believe it or not, it was. How do I know? Well, go to, the, uh, go to Psalm chapter uh, 22, verse 1. This Psalm 22 is written by David. It's a, it's a psalm of anguish, but it's also a psalm that serves two purposes. David is ex- expressing his feelings, but at the same time, it's pointing to what Jesus is going to do. I want you to look at this, this particular passage, and I want you to see the crucifixion. It's there in this passage. So, it starts out with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does that sound familiar? Okay. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my eyes, cries of anguish. Okay, go to verse 7. All who see me mock me. Was that happening on the cross before Jesus went to the cross? You better believe it was. They hurl insults at me and shake their heads. Once again, was that happening on the cross? Yes, it was. He trusts in the Lord, they said. Let the Lord rescue him. Sounds like that was on the cross too, wasn't it? You can you say you can save save yourself and save us as well. If you are the Messiah, save yourself. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. When you put somebody on the cross, you, you rip their, their bones from their joints. About that? And all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax and it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like potsherd, potsherd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You laid me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. Uh, The Jewish people considered Gentiles to be like dogs. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus came into this earth. A pack of villains encircled me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Man, how many prophecies are being fulfilled here? My bones are on display. Jesus was whipped with a flog. He was flogged. The whip has pieces of bone or metal on the end. When it goes into the skin, it rips the skin away. 
Jesus' backbones, his ribs, were probably exposed at that time. Can you imagine the pain of that, plus being on the cross, going up and down to breathe? No wonder Jesus died in three hours. My bones are on display. People staring bone over me. They divide my clothes amongst them and cast lots for my garments. Boy, you see all this? And so then Jesus says, I thirst. He was fulfilling prophecies. And so what do we learn? We learn truly this is the Son of God. It's not a person who just comes and says something and I'm the Messiah. Truly, because he was fulfilling prophecy. We know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And when people say, I have another way, they don't have another way. Because Jesus is the one that fulfilled prophecy. They did not. All right, let's go to the next one. It is finished. John chapter 19, verse 30. When he had received the dream, he said, it is finished. Telio is the Greek word, telio. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Okay, telio. That word telio actually uh, means... Uh, to, it comes from, it, the Greek word means to end. Okay? It means to end. It means the debt has been paid. Now, what they're finding uh, as archaeology continues to excavate uh, in the Holy Land in that area, uh, it's a very dry climate, so it doesn't have a lot of, of the decay that we have in our area. So you're able to find stuff like the Dead Sea Scrolls and all these other scrolls and stuff that are there. And, and that are thousands, literally thousands of years old. Okay. Oh, can I digress just a little bit? So I'm in Turkey. All right. And I look down, and in the ruins of Turkey, you got stones everywhere, yeah, and, and you know it's part of a building, because, just because you can see the etchings in it, maybe about this big. Yeah. And I looked at my tour guide, and I said, "By the way, can can I take one of these home?" She goes, oh, no. No, if they find you have that, you go to jail. They said terrorists and people who steal our artifacts. Terrorists are the highest criminal, and then people who steal our artifacts. He says, don't, don't do that. And I said, well, I said, what if I just put it in your purse? She goes, oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> and, then, and then she says, let me tell you a story. She said, um, there was this newlywed couple just gotten they were here on their honeymoon the, 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 the groom picked up a, a rock and put it in his pocket and when he was at the airport they saw it they called the antiquities department they came in and looked at it and it was just a rock and they found some little mark or something on it he spent two years in jail he said his wife had to come and visit him for two years in a Turkish jail all because he picked up a stone that's nothing to do with the sermon. Just thought it was a good story. Okay, so, but we're, we're finding all these documents. And some, most of the document is um, business transactions. If there's one thing I learned when I was in Turkey is nothing's new, number one. And number two is the fact that uh, they were much more modern than what we give, our, give them credit for. Their plumbing system is much better than ours. I mean, 
I mean, they've got clay, clay tile that is still in existence. And it's round and everything else. And so they're finding all these business dealings. And at the end, it makes it, it the word is given, which is, I just lost it because I went too fast. <coughs> um, the word uh, teleo, the word telestali is there. All right? So teleo means the end. So they do the business transaction. Let's say it's a, 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 a bank transaction. And at the end, they will put teleostali, which means it is complete. It is finished. You paid your debt. That's what it's referring to. You paid your debt, right? So Jesus stands, and he's on the cross. He screams out, teleo, it is finished. It is, the debt has been paid. It, it, it is not a statement of, okay, I'm going to die. It is a statement of your debt, the debt that I came to pay has been paid at that point. Okay? And with that, he gave up his spirit. So what it is saying is, is the debt has been paid in full. And so the lesson is, our obligation to sin is complete. Jesus paid it on our price. Or paid it in our place. And because of that, we can now be assured, rest assured in our salvation. We don't have to keep paying the debt. It is paid once and for all. Okay. So lastly, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 22:41. It was now about noon, and the darkness came over the whole land until about three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Say, whoopee-doo. No, 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 no. That curtain in the temple was massive. It took 300 priests to hang it. It was about six inches thick, if I remember right. I might be wrong on the dimensions. But about six inches thick. And it, and it ripped from top to bottom, not bottom to top. So in order for it to rip, it had to be God that actually did it. That's significant. Because the symbolism there is there's no longer any division between uh, God and humanity. We're back on the same level again. Okay, that's basically what I'm saying. Okay. So, uh, and then Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had finished, he breathed his last. So what was Jesus doing? Well, I'll tell you what he was doing because the last page of my notes isn't here. Okay, let me tell you what he was doing. I think in everything that Jesus was doing, he was teaching us. I believe Jesus was displaying to us how we are to act and react in every situation. You can say what you believe, but people won't believe that you really believe it until you actually act through it. Got that? Because your actions speak louder than words. words. 
So if you say you trust in God, and yet you go through times in your life and you're acting as if you don't, then you really don't trust in God. All right? So Jesus is saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I believe that what Jesus was doing was he was trusting in the Father, he was receiving comfort from the Father, he was securing himself with the Father, and he was demonstrating how Christians are to die with dignity. You will die. Like it or not, that is a reality that we will experience. Somebody asked me one time, how many times do you think of dying? I said, every day. Every day, it crosses my mind that someday I will breathe my life. I don't know if the curse that's upon the Duntons or what it is, but every day. But Jesus was demonstrating how to die with dignity. And Christians, you have various issues that go through your life, whatever it might be, I don't know. But if you want to impact the world with evangelism, live and demonstrate to them how a Christian is to act and react in those situations. So here Jesus is on the cross, and what is he doing when he's dying? He's looking to the Father. He's looking to the Father. And Christians, I believe that with you. Every area of your life, look to the Father. You're involved, you want to get involved in relationships with people? Look to the Father. I mean, you go through difficulty in your life? Look to the Father. When Polly had her brain tumor, we looked to the Father. We wanted to demonstrate to the church how Christians are to act during those times of crisis. Look to the Father. People are watching. When I had a, somebody at my second church that had, was dying of leukemia, she'd go to the hospital and she, she displayed Christ to all the nurses that when the best room in, the, in that ward opened up, they always moved her down to the corner room so she had the most amount of sun because the nurses saw, knew that she loved Jesus and she was demonstrating Christ to them and they said, we want to give her the best. So when somebody got out of that room, they moved her down there every time she went in the hospital because she was demonstrating the Father to them. We opened up, we had a, a 24-hour prayer chain for her, where somebody was praying for her 24 hours a day. At least one person was praying for her, and it was going 24 hours a day. You know what she did? She took the list so she would pray for us. You want to impact others for Christ? Demonstrate it to them. Demonstrate it to them. You want to impact others? Demonstrate it to them. Demonstrate to them how Christians are to act and to react. And so Jesus then said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Those last four words teach us four things. One, Jesus is the Messiah. Two, it teaches us that um, we are secure in our salvation. Three, it teaches us that we are to display Christ to others every time in our life, even when life is not fair. And the fourth one is, and I have to think about what it is because my notes are all mixed up up here. 
Your debt is finished and it is paid. Because of the cross. And so we come together on every Sunday morning and throughout the week to learn about Jesus. But we also come every Sunday morning to say thank you. Jesus, thank you. It's because of you that I can face tomorrow. It is because of you. When I think about dying, I don't just think of the grave. I think of standing before God Almighty, listening to the angels, proclaiming His holiness. Um, looking forward to that room that they're going to give us. Looking forward to the responsibility that He's going to give us. Looking forward to all of that that will last for eternity when death will be no more. And we don't have to worry about it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what your word has taught us. May you be with us. And help us to remember that those words in the cross were very important. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two things for you before we close off. Number one is, Lord, please remember, get go into that room right afterwards and so they can give you more information. And then secondly is, if you can clean up, clear off this side, not this side, this side of the, of the chairs, just put them right on the line. That's all we need. We appreciate it.